0: Thanks for pressing play, swimmers and swimmers. I'm Garrett McCaffrey, and joining us today is the new head coach at Pitt, Chase Kreitler. This is the Swim Swam Podcast. Chase, congrats on the new job, and you kind of got two new jobs over this winter slash spring, and uh, you became a new dad as well. Uh, how's, let's start there with the uh, the dad role. Uh, how's it going so far?
1: Thanks, Kara. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm really excited to be on the podcast. Yeah. Um, it's going well, I, about two minutes ago, right before I logged onto the call, I had JD, like, all ready to go to bring him to the call, and he was, like, smiling, and then he just started crying, and I was like, this isn't going to work, and just handed him back off, but um, it's it's been awesome, man. It's been a really special few months. He, JD, John Daniel is my son. He turned 12 weeks yesterday, and so, you know, for those, you know, people that have kids, like, every week is something fun and something new like probably about four weeks ago he started smiling all the time and so that's been really fun and now like this morning he started grabbing like a teddy bear like in a way that he hadn't before and so it's just fun to see those little changes and it's been really cool so yeah definitely awesome. a, I, also, cool.
0: I found it really cool um that you got the paternity leave that you did and a lot of coaches you know maybe take the day of or maybe a couple days around it but I think it's a pretty strong statement. And in my opinion, a a pretty awesome one for coaches to hear. How did, how did you go about like getting that paternity leave? How did that come about?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, There's, I'd say kind of a couple different aspects. One, just from, from my family's aspect and and Liz and I talking things through, it was really important for us to take as much as time as possible to be together and to do, you know, particularly that first four to six weeks where it just, everything's new. It's hard. You're not getting much sleep. You know, I knew based on the timing of things, I was going to, you know, potentially be gone at PAC 12s and then NC2As and that would leave her, you know, kind of doing that by herself. And I just, that wasn't what I wanted to do. That wasn't how I wanted to start parenting uh, our first kid together. And so that was kind of a priority. And, and, you know, initially I had kind of looked at taking maybe three weeks off, and then coming back to coach for the month of March and then taking some more extended time after the season. And, and Dave and I talked through a few options and, and he was like, you know, look, if, if it works for you and your family, he's was like, just, just take the time off. He's like, it's fine. Like we can, you know, and, and he didn't even know at the time that David Marsh was available, but it was just, he, he knew he had kind of an idea of the type of person he wanted to bring in. And um, so, yeah, it, it, it was an amazing, you know, kind of thing, how it all came together and, um it's it's been really cool really cool and i had some people reach out and you know uh in support and just say hey thanks for kind of setting setting the standard here and you know really i got to give my wife a lot of credit because she she was pushing for it too <laughs> so. it is,
0: it's such a formative time and a lot of times dads just say oh there's nothing we can do in that stretch and so for you to take that on is i think it's a great message i think it's inspiring for a lot of young or too uh, soon to be dads out there um, but it can't come just easy. It had to be kind of hard to watch your team winning a national championship while you were at home, right?
1: Yeah, it was. It was, it was hard, you know, not to be there and, and you know, to be, you know, I, I like to get into it on deck and just, and, and really, you know, cheer loud and, and you know, especially NC2As, right? Where it's like you're in it, you're in it with the team that has a chance to win. And so every single swim, you know, whether it's winning a B final or somebody sneaking into an A final, you just go nuts. And, um, so yeah, that was, that was hard, but, uh, you know, sitting there getting to watch, you know, Hugo win the 400 IM with like JD, like in my arms and like still cheering. Like it was, it was cool. So it was, it was one of those things where, you know, I talked to a few people outside of the swimming world, talked to my sister and, you know, I've been really fortunate to have been a part of a few teams that have won before. And, she was just like, Chase, you know, what's in 20 years, like, what are you going to wish you would have done? And I was like, you know what, like, I'm going to wish I would have been at home. And so yeah, it was hard to be not being there. But I'm I'm really glad I was home. And um, I, I had a lot of special moments that week, too, and tried to really be present while I was at home. So yeah, it was cool.
0: That's great stuff. Good stuff. So uh, then this spring, um, you know, this job became available at Pitt, what made it a job that you were interested in and ultimately a good fit for you um, for, I believe, your first head coaching role, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it was, I think, as as you move through this process and, you know, the longer you're at of school, I, I was really fortunate, you know, Garrett, to have some people reach out uh, earlier in my time at Cal and, and I ended up declining interviews just because I was so excited about what I was doing and the role that, you know, I was in and working with Dave and the team. And, um, you know, kind of as we got to this spring, I don't know if it was the shift of being a dad or just, you know, after we won, it kind of felt like, hey, that unfinished business after losing a close meet in 2021, it was like, hey, like we did this and it was really cool. I just, I was like, you know, uh, I had a a few schools reach out, which was a huge honor for me, um, just to see if I was interested. And I was like, you know, I'm gonna go through the process. And as I talked with Wendy Myers, the associate AD at Pitt, she was an all American swimmer at UNLV. And so she, you know, as a sports supervisor has kind of a unique role in understanding the sport and in a way that a lot of, you know, sports supervisors don't have that, especially with swimming and diving, because it is kind of a different sport. so just kind of hearing her um, analysis of where the program was at, where they want to go. And then really what sealed the deal for me was going on the interview and meeting the people in the Pitt Athletic Department. And from, from Heather, the head AD, kind of all the way through everybody that I got to meet. And I got to meet a lot of people. There was just awesome people there. Um, I really was like, Hey, this is a great athletic department. I was surprised, you know, just how many different types of people I got to meet that, um, I was like, this is, this is, sounds like it could be a great place to work. And really in particular with Heather, it was clear to me that she cares about swimming and diving, um, in a way that, you know, to be honest with you, a lot of athletic directors, I think, you know, football and basketball is their priority. And then with some of the Olympic sports, like it's great if they do well, but they just don't want people to get in trouble, have good grades, you know, you know, just have a nice time and give back, you know, after you graduate. And and Heather, you know, wants all of those things, but she wants the student athletes to be a part of a winning program from every sport. And so that, you know, when I was like, hey, you know, they're towards the bottom of the ACC and I'm evaluating for myself. It's like, hey, there's support here. There's support here. They want, the program wants to be better. And so that kind of was, Really kind of sold me on it where I was like, all right, if the athletic director and the associate d are going to support the the program at the level that it needs to to advance at the ACC and NC two a level, like then this is a good fit for me, so yeah, that was kind of the the process It,
0: it sounds like a pretty well thought out decision. Uh, I kind of want to touch again on kind of the difference in the programs between what you've had been experienced with and and what you're walking into right now, but I guess that kind of still like revolves around your step up into that head coaching role. And again, you've been part of amazing programs at Texas and Stanford and Cal, um, where they've been competing and winning national championships. So you have experience seeing, you know, some of the best head coaches in the game. Um, but this is your first chance to really set the tone as a head coach yourself. What's, what's the biggest difference between the role as an assistant and a role as a head coach, at least that you're focusing on, because I know we could talk an entire interview just about those differences. But right now, what are you trying to wrap your head around as far as first impressions and things you want to focus on being a good head coach?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, and it is. It's such a different role. As an assistant, you, you do have the luxury of being a little bit more narrow. Uh, and depending on the role, you know, in, in a bigger staff, maybe your scope of responsibilities is not limited, but it's, you know, you maybe are working with one group and have a few, you know, key administrative things, some recruiting at Cal. Fortunately um, it's Dave and myself and we had, you know, we had director of ops that rotated every year or excuse me. Well, we did have director of ops rotate, but we also had uh, volunteer assistance rotate. And so I actually had a pretty broad scope of responsibility, which was really helpful in preparing for this. Um, and even just kind of having several conversations with Dave along the way, uh, understanding, you know, what is it like to be a, a head coach and kind of taking that step back, that 30,000 foot view of, you know, kind of all of the different buckets of like building relationships with the alumni and fundraising and recruiting and hiring a staff and and mentoring a staff and, you know, and then allowing people to, to play to their strengths. So. To answer your question, I mean, the main focus, the main thing I'm focused on is getting the right people in the program. And, and that starts with the coaching staff, the support staff. We're going to hire a director of ops. Um, you know, we'll probably have some volunteer assistant coaches, maybe student managers, and just finding good people um, that are in it for the right reasons, that have, you know, a high level of technical expertise, um, and really, you know, want to see this program build the way that I do. Um, because if, if you have a bunch of good people around that like working together, like, they're, we're probably going to build a really good culture. Um, and then that, that you know, kind of plays out to recruiting, too. Um, today was my first, you know, official day at Pitt uh, on the books. And I had my first recruiting call. And that's one of the things I was talking about. I was like, hey, we're looking for, you know, number one, good people who are going to be good teammates, uh, people that are serious about academics and getting a great education, and then people that want to see how far they can take their swimming or diving, respectively. Um, so yeah, it starts with the people.
0: Yeah. How do you tell if they're good people? What are the reasons that make them in it for the right reasons?
1: Well, I think, you know, I've been fortunate to be around the sport for a while. And so you watch people, right? As you're coming up on deck, you see, I think a big uh, telling thing is how people respond when things don't go well. And we've all been next to coaches on decks when things are not going well and you just kind of see what happens. And it doesn't mean that, you know, we're we're not in a vacuum. I'm not perfect. You know, other people aren't perfect. But I think if you have, you know, people that have a history of their athletes saying, hey, this person really impacted me in a great way, you know, not just as a swimmer or diver, but they, they mentored me. They cared about me as a person. They're saying that. Their athletes are saying that their, uh, you know, their head coach that they work for, maybe is saying that, or other references, it's like, you kind of start to put together a picture, um, you know, of who they are. And, and when I'm, you know, when I've been interviewing people, like I ask people a lot like, Hey, what are your strengths? You know, what are some areas for improvement? And then I try to, you know, break the ice a little bit and be, you know, open and honest about areas where I can improve. And so they feel a little bit more comfortable to say, Hey, yeah, like I, you know, you don't have to know everything, but you know, you have to be good at, a few things, really good. <laughs> so,
0: Yeah, growth mindset is contagious, especially if you have it from the top down. Along those lines, I mean, you've been part of successful programs like I talked about. And sometimes when you come into a program, um, even if they haven't had the same success, it's not like they just say, all right, you tell us how to do it. They sometimes you know, can meet you with some resistance. And maybe that's the admin, maybe that's the current swimmers. But how do you set a new culture while respecting the people and things that are already in place there
1: yeah that's a great question. Um, I think a lot of it is it's building relationship with the student athletes that are already part of the program and that's a huge priority for me um, I had the first team meeting a couple weeks ago when I was on campus, and it was awesome and I shared a little bit of you know some of the things that are important to me, but I also uh, was asking for feedback from them you know I was reading an article about you know, leading Gen Z athletes, um, recently in the last couple of weeks. And this, you know, the author was saying, Hey, it's so important to get people's feedback, you know, more now than ever, you know, 25 years ago, you know, people just kind of did what their coach told them. They didn't fact check it. Now it's like, they have the internet, they're fact checking. They're like, Hey, you're teaching me to do my start like this. And, you know, so-and-so is doing their start differently. And so I think it's, it's important to acknowledge, Hey, from a technical standpoint, we don't have all the answers, but I want you to be part of learning. Show me videos. Show me what you're finding. Um, And I, you know, I sent a questionnaire out to the whole team and just asked them, hey, why did you choose Pitt? Because all these athletes chose to come here for a reason, um, student athletes. And so, you know, what academically drew them in? You know, what did they like about the school, the campus? And learning those things has been really, you know, I've I've started to kind of pour over the questionnaires and, and really understand like a pretty good picture of why people, you know, are here. And that kind of helps me build out a vision for, you know, recruiting people to uh, to be, you know, student athletes here. So I think we're definitely going to get the buy in. And and I'm very fortunate. The student athletes that I've talked to, like they seem really excited. And, you know, I know when I was in college, uh, my college coach, Morgan Bailey, um, had been at Auburn and had been at Georgia as an assistant when they won uh nc2as and so for me i remember when i saw that he was hired i was like oh sweet like you know someone that has experience at the highest level it's it's pretty cool um but at the same time like you know it's that balance where it's like yeah here's some things and i'm going to set some some cultural things that i think are going to help us advance the program but also get their input and say hey what are your goals where do you guys want to go as a program and and they want to be good so i i like we're we're well matched it's it's going to be fun for sure Do you have a vision
0: for, I mean, some of the big things that you've got to decide and obviously you have spring and off season to really nail this home, but um, some of the stuff I really like to dig into uh, is, you know, how you break up a group structure. You know, a lot of teams have the basic sprint, mid and distance, um, but they mix it in with their own, you know, variations and stuff. Have you thought at all about how you kind of want to set up groups there?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question, um, and I, you know, some of the assistant coaching candidates have been asking me about that and how I might plug them in, and, and you know, kind of my first answer is, well, like, I want to find the right people. Um, you know, we can all coach everything, but if I can position, you know, my assistant coaches into their strengths, and then, you know, it's like, I, I can coach any group, and I probably will work with every single athlete on the team and, and move around a little bit. Um, I think some of the priorities, Garrett, are we're going to do long course year-round, uh, you know, probably at least three times a week. And, and as we're recruiting international student athletes and, and, you know, athletes on the national junior team, like that's an important part of the conversation is we don't have a, you know, a short course season. And then this, you know, big transition in April to, you know, start doing a bunch of long course practices by keeping that long course going year round, even like I said, three, four times a week, you know, of a nine water touches, You're going to keep a a nice rhythm to your strokes, keep length in your strokes. You're going to be able to touch some of your paces, um, which will just kind of help you keep advancing, whether it's your best Olympic trials event or, you know, the event that you want to make the Olympic team in or, you know, those sorts of things. So that's a priority. Um, I would say, you know, there's somebody smarter than me came up with this, but there's three teams, right? There's a women's team, a men's team and a combined team. And so, Doing some practices where it's hey women and men are split, and then stuff where women and men are together because each of those three teams has to have a separate identity that functions really well and that's strong. And so if you go to you know men's NC two A's or women, you know women's NC two A's, you're not relying on someone that's not at the meet to create the energy or be that fill that certain role. So um, for me, those are some of the things that I'm thinking about. I mean, you know, I I think. I, I i'm very i like to get really specific with training you know I, as the, the team asked me like you know the, the question when you get a new head coach is always like you know are you big yardage guy <laughs> and like everybody wants to know that and it's like well you know my answer is always we're going to do enough aerobic endurance work to be really good at our best event long course our longest event long course and enough speed and power work to be really good at our shortest event short course and so kind of finding that balance and and yeah, we're going to have buckets and, and, you know, we may run six different workouts on a given day. Um, and then, you know, we might even modify a lot of things within those workouts to help athletes be better. Like that's, those are some of the things that I've learned from Eddie and Dave and Greg and Tracy. Like it's finding those little individualization, um, you know, things where it's like, Hey, I want you to work on this. And it's like, then they know that you're thinking about their swimming every single person on the team, if you can find those little spots. So um, that was a roundabout way of answering your question. But yeah, i thought about groups, but that's kind of holistically some of the things I'm thinking about.
0: Yeah. I kind of want to dive in a little bit more there and, and, you know, some of the coaches that you've learned from, but I think some of the perspective that might be most valuable, not only for people listening to the podcast, but also for your athletes. Like what if uh, some of your pit athletes called up your Cal athletes and said, what's chase like, how do you think that conversation would go?
1: That's a good question. Um, I think that the cow athletes would say that I care about them. Uh, like that they all know that, that I really deeply care about them as people apart from their performance and that whether things were going well in their swimming or not going well, um, that I was there for them. Um, I think they would say, I write really hard workouts (laughs) and, and, you know, that's the name of the game, right? Is like every team, in the NC2A is getting better every year, and so if you're not improving at a rate that's faster than other teams, you're not going to move up in your conference. And there's, you know, to steal an Eddie Reese quote, like this is a hard sport. Like there's no shortcuts here, and so I mean, while there's a lot of things that we can do from recovery and nutrition and sleep that aren't necessarily harder, um, some of it is just like outworking you know, other people that you're racing against. And I've, you know, the commonality that I've seen with any, you know, Olympic medalist or, you know, Olympic team member, world championship team members, they're, they're really hard workers um, and very consistent. And so, yeah, I would say the Cal team would say, I care about them and really hard workouts, (laughs) not all the time, but, uh, but pretty frequently.
0: I kind of want to dive into that a little bit more specific about hard workouts. And, you know, if you read some books on periodization and some of the physiology books, they say that you can't go hard every day. You can't go anaerobic every day. But most really good successful programs do. (laughs) A lot of them have something that will really kind of kick your butt every single day. Um, I I guess I just want to ask, and I want to keep asking a lot of coaches, has anybody found a balance where that isn't the case? Or do you do something hard? something fast, something challenging every day.
1: Yeah, I think that really depends on the group of athletes you're working with. Because, you know, sprinters, like if their nervous system gets too overloaded from doing aerobic work, or you know, whatever it might be, like, for example, if you swim, you know, a two hour practice before you lift, like your rate of force development is just going to be down from nervous system fatigue. So you have to pay attention to those things. Sprinters definitely need Uh, you know, a little bit more rest, like they got to be fresh, you know, when they're hitting important things in the weight room, or if we're going fast in the pool, like you kind of have to tee them up to be fast, unless the goal is just to build some, you know, work capacity a little bit earlier in the season. But particularly that second half of the season, it's like, if we're not actually going fast, or or touching race paces, there's probably not a lot of value in what we're doing, um, you know, for the most part, middle distance and distance, you know, because uh, a lot of those athletes recover really well, they can touch something, you know, a little bit every day where it's like, it might be a mostly aerobic day. But if you touch, you know, 850s, two of each stroke for an or that are like, you know, pace, and depending on how much rest is in between, that's a lot different than going, you know, 3250s, best average, and that's a lactate tolerance type set. So I think Yeah, you can go, you know, hard, but it's also like what energy system? Is it hard because you're going, you know, kind of tight interval, you know, aerobic long course work for a distance freestyler where, yeah, their heart rate's at 150 for 75 minutes and it's kind of uncomfortable, or is it hard because you're doing, you know, a broken 200 on pretty high rest and you're just, your body's spiked with lactate. So um, absolutely, you have to cycle. I mean, you know, it's not like just hard, 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 hard. In fact, completely the opposite i think you really have to pick and choose your spots of where you're going to be good but when you are good that's the one thing that i've kind of noticed working with a lot of these great athletes is like when it's time to go like they are really good um you know seeing people you know hop up and do you know dive 200 IM in the middle of practice and go 146 for a male like that's that's good that's really good you know um and and you know so it's like well if you want to be an nc2a champion the 200 i am like you gotta at least do that, probably. Um, so yeah.
0: How often? Like a couple times a week they can be that good, a couple times like a month. Yeah. Like, how often can can you really put that kind of test to them? Cause then if they go 152 when you want to be 146, sometimes that can be a psychological detriment, right?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And I found that you can kind of see those things coming a little bit, right? Like you it's it's really paying attention to how someone's responding to the increase in you know, intensity, duration, whatever the variable might be. And, you know, it's if the coaching staff is meeting a lot, you're meeting with the strength coach, you know, every week, it's like, hey, how is, you know, so and so doing in the weight room? And it's like, well, maybe they had an awesome, like, you know, single leg squad day and then they like weren't that good on the kick set the next day. It's like, that's fine. Like, as long as they're getting better somewhere, it's like, you know, but it's like when they stop getting better in the weight room, they stop getting better in the pool and not just like flatline, but like start to, you know, decrease that's how you kind of pay attention to those things and, and make those adjustments good stuff. to answer your question. You know, uh, I think you can go lactate, you know, two to three times a week. Um, it depends on if you're doing overload, um, you know, mentally too, I think it, it kind of depends on the athlete, but, um, you know, Eddie used to like to kind of go fast on Tuesdays and Fridays. Um, you know, working with the cow guys, like we would go something pretty darn sharp Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. Um, and Saturday, maybe a little bit more active rest, like not, you know, like this, this killer test set type workout. So, um, you know, the, the cycle at Cal was kind of three, three practice cycles where it was kind of like medium, you know, h- higher end aerobic or like something pretty good. And then like really intense and then a practice off um, and repeat that three times. And, and you know, I think had good results with that. Yeah, so it's awesome yeah.
0: stuff. I want to know and kind of circling back to the question about how you want to be a head coach um, and kind of let's, let's start with Eddie first and then we'll kind of go through your very impressive resume with the coaches that you've worked for. What did you learn from Eddie that you want to make sure you take forward as a head coach?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um,
0: well, it's coming for Tracy and for, or for Greg and Tracy and from Dave next. So save some. Yeah, good stuff.
1: yeah for sure. Um, you know, Eddie, it was just so good at getting people to believe that they can do something exceptional. And, you know, the guy, the guys that have swam for him, like there's, you know, they kind of joke, he has this little tricep grab where he walks up next to somebody and grabs their arm and kind of walks with them down the pool deck. And, you know, he's just like the number of times that I just kind of watched him grab somebody's arm and just tell them like, Hey, you're going to do some really special things this year. Keep doing the right stuff. Or it's just that, you know, and coming from Eddie, like Eddie was somebody that I looked up to when I was in high school, you know, and this is now, you know, whatever, over 20 years ago. So it's, it's just, you know, the guys now that's like his, his, his resume, like the national championships is even longer. It's like, wow. Like Eddie told me that was a great set or something. It's just, it means a lot because he's seen so much in the sport. So I think, yeah, from him getting people to believe, uh, that they can do something really special. And then also from a, you know, uh, periodization or you know progressive overload standpoint one of the things that eddie's really good at doing is convincing and and getting the team to train so hard at a level where maybe their performance in a dual meet is decreased um, where you know it's like he'll he'll sacrifice winning dual meets to be great at the end of the year and that was something i really admire because you know it's it's hard it's hard to like to like go in and lose dual meets to teams that like you know, are not going to be like the, the two or three teams at the end of the year that you're competing against, um, really for a national title. And I love that. I love that. You know, that's, we've all, we all love swimming where it's like the, the payoff's huge because of this long-term investment and that's kind of part of it. And so I think I, you know, yeah, just talking through like, Hey, when is it a time to be great? Like this year at Minnesota invite with the Cal team, like we did not dominate that invite but at the end of the year, like the guys were really sharp. And I think, how do you, how do you walk a team through like what your plan is for that individual season? So, um, yeah. And, and Eddie just cares about his guys. Like they know that, like that is, you know, he's a wonderful model in that regard and, and, you know, they know they can go to him and talk about anything. So.
0: Well, your next stop was Stanford. So Greg and Tracy, um, what kind of things will you take from them that you want to take forward into this role?
1: Yeah. I think, you know, it was really cool. I had just a brief stint. You know, my plan was to be at Stanford for a couple of years and then Yuri left Cal and, and I had talked to Greg like, Hey, if, you know, if anything opens up full time at, at Stanford or Cal, I'd really like to be able to apply. And, and so he was really supportive about that. But, um, you know, it was just a five week period that I was there, Okay, but it was enough time to really see like, Hey, this is, you know, it was a, a you know, they had just one NC2As and I got to see the kind of the culture of the team and, they really work hard. Like the Stanford women, like there is a culture of like, you know, work works. Um, There's, they do some really good, like long course, you know, tough workouts. And so I think, you know, the the culture of working hard, but then also like the, the positive attitude and kind of how they were supportive of each other. And just kind of that, you know, some, some programs you start to work hard and then people start to chirp a little bit. Right. And it becomes negative and it's tough. But it's like I was really impressed, you know, with the culture that, that Greg and Tracy had formed where it was really positive. Um, you know, I think Tracy's super – I mean, and, and Greg, but uh, she's really technical um, with, with different strokes. She's really good at teaching. You know, on a Wednesday morning, they would run different stroke groups and just seeing some new drills uh, that, that, you know, she was doing that maybe like I hadn't seen before. And I'd already coached for, I don't know, nine years when I got there. So um, it was, you know, that was, that was cool to see. Um, and, and some of the team culture stuff, even this past year, you know, when I'm sitting in the stands at juniors recruiting. I'm talking to Tracy about, you know, Hey, what are your core values, you know, with the team? And she's talking to me about things like that. And it's, it's so important to have kind of a shared language with the team and to know like, Hey, everybody, this is what we're committing to. You know, we're committing to excellence academically and swimming wise, you know, what are your priorities? Um, so, and, and Greg is, you know, I, I love Greg. He's a great guy. Like he's very detail oriented, similar to me. Um, But he's, he's got really good soft skills with the athletes where I think he's just a a really good balance of like, you know, he'll write the tough workouts that they need to get better. But he also is just like a very approachable person that anybody on the team could have a meeting with at any time to talk about anything. And so I think that's, that's definitely, you know, someone that I aspire to be uh, as a head coach for sure.
0: These are awesome answers. We got one more, um, you know, head coach to get through, Dave Durden, obviously your most recent head coach. And I saw an intimidating answer because I'm sure your shoes are pretty tough to fill right now. And I saw an ask anything, him answer, what makes a good assistant coach? And he basically said, don't ask me anything, just know. (laughs) So, I mean, it had to be kind of hard, but what, there's other things too. Like what what do you take away as the head coach that you really want to take into um, this new role for you as a head coach?
1: Yeah. I think one of the things that Dave does so well is just his level of organization. Um, you know, I joke that (laughs) like, and this is just a really funny, like anecdote, but Eddie's office at Texas is completely clean, but he doesn't write anything down. It's like all like just thoughts in his head. Dave's office is less clean but he's like super detailed with what he writes down. So just that kind of, you know, uh, the opposites there is kind of funny to me, but in, in, Dave's office, he has four one-year calendars. And so as you know, as someone, you know, sits down in his office and, and he's talking to them about, you know, being a student athlete, he just walks them through, you know, what it looks like to be a student athlete at Cal. And, um, I think that's, you know, that's definitely Greg's done the same thing. It's like, that's part of the coaching tree. I think of working for Dave, like you end up having four one-year calendars in your office and you talk about an Olympic cycle, you talk about, you know, where, like what the academic rhythm of the year looks like, what the swimming rhythm of the year looks like, um, you know, and articulate those things. So, and, and, you know, Dave is so good at, um, and, and, and Eddie too, you know, really in knowing when to push and knowing when to back off. Um, when, when I was at Texas, uh, a guy that I looked up to from the area I grew up in, Nate Duzing, um, is still down living in the Austin area. And so, you know, I got, I got his number. It was, you know, asked him to come out to lunch and just, you know, just, it was fun for me to get to meet a guy who's a couple years older than me, who I'd looked up to growing up swimming in Northern Kentucky. Um, but Nate was like, you know, the thing, that's what he said about Eddie. He's like, this is what makes him great. He knows when to push and he knows when to back off. And I think, you know, Dave's the same way. He knows when to push and he knows when to back off. And, and I mean, like I've seen some crazy stuff in workouts and I've also seen times where Dave's like, no, we need to back off a little bit here. And just, he's really good at reading kind of the, the culture of the team. And there's sometimes when the team like is, you know, it's tough and he's like, no, no, we're going to keep going hard. And so I think I appreciate that, that kind of fine balance of like really knowing, you know, what time of year, like maybe it's time to keep pushing a little bit. When do you need to you know pull back? when do you need to move someone into a different group just to give them you know a little bit of love on their third stroke in the IM or whatever it might be um, so it goes back to those individualizations dave like he'll write up the workout and you know if there's if it's an IM and warm up he'll always let the the non breaststrokers know they can use a dolphin kick for breaststroke like just you know not like forgetting about people you know everybody's name is written on the board like what lanes they're in it's very organized it's really cool yeah
0: all right, my last question, um, and obviously you have to be good to get in any of those doors, to get on deck with Eddie as a, a, an assistant coach and at Stanford and, and definitely at, at Cal as well. Uh, you got to be good. Um, so I'm sure they would all say their own thing about what makes you good, but I'm going to ask you to brag on yourself a little bit. And you know, what kind of unique things do you bring that make you such a great coach, even at a young age?
1: Yeah, well, it is hard to brag on yourself, um, <laughs> but, um, you know, even going back before um, before my time at, at those schools, you know, I had some really cool experiences coming up as a coach. When I was at Bakersfield, uh, where I swam, you know, I had the chance to run a sprint group my second year coaching, and I got to write the weights as well, and so I just got a really unique uh, experience, you know, learning about, like, sprinters early in my career and had, you know, a couple of guys did, you know, four pull-ups with 100 pounds at the end of the year. Like we got pretty strong. And I got to see like, you know, that whole process of, you know, what worked, what didn't work. And then when I went to Eastern Michigan, you know, I, I went from a, you know, a single gender program at Bakersfield to a combined program, and Peter Lynn had, you know, people going fast. I mean, at a mid-major level, but like had all Americans, had people going fast, short course, long course, men, women, you know, sprint, middle distance, distance. It's like, we had it all. And so that like really was a formidable experience for me um, learning from Peter because he is such a technical genius with strokes. He's just so good. And then physiologically, like we would go for runs and just talk physiology. And so I think, you know, that that's probably what I bring, you know, to the sport is like really trying to understand physiologically what each event or as we mentioned, a combination of short course and long course, plus relay events, you know, that totality of what your your profile looks like. And then kind of how throughout a week or throughout a season, you need to train at different parts. Like that's that's the part of my brain that clicks really well. Um, and then, you know, something really over the last, I guess, six years, I've started doing a ton of underwater video work uh, with a GoPro. And that's opened up a whole new world for me. Like I, I was like, man, I'm at Texas. I had a, I had a GoPro. I was like, I got to just start getting these guys, you know, and just seeing – you know, what separates a 145 long course tuner freestyler from people that are, you know, 147 or even 149 and above? And I found some things. There's some things that I see in their stroke, and it's like, that's really cool to see those things and to be able to, you know, then teach those to people that are, you know, 154 and help them get down under 150. Um, so those are a few that's, things. Can you give us one of those things? Um, you know, I think for the most part, the majority of people that are one forty-five and faster do kind of that classic three quarter catch-up freestyle stroke where they kind of they kind of ride the lead arm um, you know, on their kick a little bit and then they wait to start pulling until their face is coming back in the water. Whereas a lot of non-elite freestylers, you know, are starting to pull with the lead arm while they're breathing. Um and as you rotate back, you get a little bit more pec engagement instead of just lat engagement. So you have more muscle fibers working for you on every pull, um, so yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah.
0: Awesome stuff from start to finish, Chase. It was a great opportunity for me to get to know you, and I think all the viewers are gonna completely agree. It sounds like Pitt got a good one, and I can't wait to see what you do there. Uh, best of luck, and thank you so much for your time. It was great, great time spent. I really appreciate it.
1: Thanks so much, Garrett. It was really awesome uh, talking with you and looking forward to uh, building the program.
0: Hail to Pitt. Can't wait to watch. Thanks, Chase. Thanks. You've been listening to the Swim Swam Podcast. Stay tuned for new episodes every week. You can take Swim Swam Podcasts on the go by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. Look for links in the description below and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more videos as well.